Thank you for listening to this teaching from Kingdom Discipleship. There are often times in our lives and in our walk with Jesus where circumstances do not play out in ways that we enjoy or appreciate or expect. The lessons of the Lord are indeed often counterintuitive to what we expect. Let's open our Bible now to Luke chapter 2 and look at this incredible story of Jesus and his family when he was 12 years old. Well, good morning and welcome to another teaching. It is a Monday morning here in Texas and uh, hopefully y'all had a, a wonderful Christmas, uh, a Christ-centered, a Christ-filled Christmas. Hopefully you, uh, you are wise men and wise women and journeyed to see Jesus this Christmas and that you're going to continue to be a a wise man or wise woman and uh, continuing on in your journey with Jesus in this life. We did teachings on the wise men, right, Corinne, and uh, on the shepherds. And we talked about, you know, the only thing that makes you or I wise, there is no wisdom without it, is that we are on a journey growing to know Jesus Christ, that we've received him as our Lord and Savior, that we're trusting and relying on him and clinging to him for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our soul and only him. And that from that point on, that we live our lives on this journey, walking with Jesus and loving Jesus and growing to know Jesus and walk with Jesus. And, and do you have a shepherd's heart? Do you have a heart of a shepherd that just can receive revelation from the Lord Jesus and then that immediately go out and, and put it into action. And, and so uh, we did the teachings on the wise men and on the shepherds. And so, again, um, I just hope you all had a blessed and Christ-filled Christmas. Do you want to give a shout out this morning to uh, Mr. Chris and Miss Veronica and my man Frederick, who who came into the world today and uh, they just had a, a wonderful baby boy. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we just thank you for Frederick, Lord. We thank you for the, we just thank you for the call of God on his life. Father, right now we plead the blood of Jesus over Frederick. We pray holy angels around him, Father. We just ask for your blessing your favor, and your mercy on him, Father. I pray you would reveal yourself to Frederick, Father, at the earliest possible age. Lord Jesus, I pray you begin to do a work in his heart even now, Lord, and that you would call him into your kingdom and into your service, Lord, um, at the earliest age. I pray your blessing and quick healing in Mama Veronica. And Father, I ask you to, to bless Papa Chris, Lord, and... Uh, and just as a proud dad of uh, of his newborn baby boy, thank you, Lord Jesus, for, for this family. We commit him into your hands, and we just ask for your blessing and mercy on them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's a good day. All right. Where are we at here? It's uh, Today we're going we're gonna to finish up probably the rest of the year in Luke 2. And uh, today we're going to do just this. We're so blessed 
We're so blessed to have everything in the scripture. But we have this snippet of Jesus' life that Luke gives us in Luke 2, 41 to 52. And it's an interesting story where, you know, that talks to us and tells us about how the family would journey up um, to Jerusalem every year um, for what's called the, the Feast of the Passover, um, which was the biggest feast um, where they celebrated the Passover. And there is a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of biblical picture in here because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Um, in the Old Testament, if you remember when, uh, when, when Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go, finally God tells Moses that he's going to strike down the firstborn male in every family. He's just going to strike down the firstborn male child, right? And, uh, but he tells Moses, I want you to slaughter a lamb and go over every home of the Israelites and put the lamb's blood over the, the doorpost. And when the death angel comes, and when the death angel comes, the death angel is not emotional. The death angel is there to carry out what the Lord has told him to do. And that is to strike down every firstborn male. Every firstborn male child is to be struck down. But the Lord told the angel that if you see the blood, see, see where we're going? If you see the blood over the doorpost, of any house, then pass over that house and keep going. And so when the angel saw the blood of the lamb, right? Jesus is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. When the angel saw that Lord, death passed over that house and life was granted. Jesus Christ is the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it's the same with us. There aren't going to be any questions when we stand before God. All he's looking for is the blood. Do you have the blood of Jesus over you today, Leah? Do you have the blood of Jesus? Are you trusting and relying and clinging to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and the salvation of your soul? Have you humbled yourself before Jesus, knowing your hopelessness, your helplessness, your utter desperation that without him, you will perish and spend eternity in hell? Every one of us. It's Jesus or hell. That's what the Bible teaches and so the most loving thing we can do is share Jesus Christ. Do you have the blood of Jesus over the doorpost of your heart? Are you genuinely trusting and relying on Jesus Christ today? Out of that heart of de desperation, have you called on him? Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
it's not words that save us. Words are a vehicle we use to communicate. But have you humbled yourself? Again, knowing your hopelessness and helplessness, knowing that Jesus Christ is your only hope. And out of that heart, have you called out to him and said, Lord Jesus, I humble myself before you. I believe you are the son of God. I believe you lived a perfect life for me and came into this world and died a torturous death on the cross for me. And Lord Jesus, I believe you're alive and risen today. And Lord Jesus, right now, I place all my trust and all my confidence and all my hope in you alone to save me and to be my everlasting Lord and God. I ask you, Jesus, now to come into my heart and to be the Lord of my life and to save me from my sin and to bring me to heaven when I die. In that place, when, you, when you're genuinely trusting in Jesus Christ like this, then you're a Christian. And the blood of the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of the world, is over your heart. And the death angel will pass over you as well. And spiritual life is granted you in Jesus Christ, our Lord, and granted me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Um, so that's this Passover feast that we'll read in verse 41. So I'm going to go ahead and read it, 41 to 52. Golly, I don't know if I'll even finish it all today, but hopefully. Um, and then we will get rolling. Father, we thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your favor. We thank you for your grace, Father. We thank you for your word, the word of God. But above all, Father, we thank you for Jesus, our only Lord and Savior and Master and God and King. Jesus, we thank you for creating the world we live in. We thank you for creating us. And Lord, above all, we thank you for, for willingly coming into this world you created to die for us, humanity that you created because we went bad into sin. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for your love and mercy and we thank you that you are alive and risen and we worship you today. Holy Spirit, we ask you to lead us and guide us now as we open the scriptures, the living word of God in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. All right, Luke 2, 41 to 52. Forty-one. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. Forty-three. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? 
Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. 49, why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we have actually here in verse 49, the very first words of Jesus, the first scriptural words of Jesus, the first recorded words of Jesus we have in verse 49. And it's a uh, it's an interesting story. Again, we always want to remember what we always say. When we read the scriptures, okay, we never want to add from them. We will never want to take away from them. But the scripture is not here just for us to simply read this and to understand, you know, the geographical um, um, culture of the time, uh, the geographical context, um, the cultural context, right? Um, that's it's just it's not here to be a history book. Romans fifteen four says that everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or instruct us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So when we, when, uh, when we look into this, you know, we, we want to see what is in here, not just to tell me, not just to inform me of what's happening, it certainly does that. It certainly is a history book, but that's not its primary purpose. It's just for you to read it and say, wow, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. You want to see what is in here to teach us or instruct us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture, that means the whole Bible, is God-breathed and is useful. All scripture is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that as men and women of God, would we, would, we will be equipped to do the work of God. So when we go through the scriptures, you know, we want to see and look into it and, and, and learn, right? Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in principle, again, we want to see in principle how God moves is how he'll move in our lives. Now, the circumstances, you know, there can be billions of different circumstances, right? But since Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? We know that there are biblical principles in place that that the, the, the triune God, God the Father, God the, the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three separate beings, all God, they have woven biblical principles, universal principles into the fabric of the universe that are principles, right? Um, and so when we see these things, right? Um, you know, so you see these principles throughout the scriptures everywhere. Like, you know, next time, hopefully we're going to go between, you know, we're going to, we're going to work through um, Luke two, like 21 to 40 um, and look at verse 25. 
in Luke 2.25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So when we look in here, when it says there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, okay? We see he has these qualities of, of having a lifestyle of doing what's right, okay? He was a righteous man, meaning he had a lifestyle, a moment-by-moment, day-by-day lifestyle of consistently thinking about what's right so he could do what's right simply because it's right. He had a righteous lifestyle, okay? Um, we've talked in the past, the Bible speaks of three kinds of righteousness, self-righteousness, imputed righteousness, and lifestyle righteousness. Every human being needs the imputed righteousness that you get when you give your life to Jesus Christ and receive him as your Lord and Savior. And after that time, after you become a Christian and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you, you, you spend the rest of your life living in lifestyle righteousness as Simeon did here. It also said he was devout. Right? He was devoted to the word of God, to the kingdom of God. He was, he was, he, he, he was, a, he was devout, right? He would consistently just have a heart for talking about the scriptures and the word of God and the kingdom of God. And, and just, he just had, a, he, he was devoted. And then it goes on in that verse to say, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And then it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die before he had seen Jesus. When we look at this, we see a principle. Because Simeon was righteous and devout, there can be no doubt that because of this, that this revelation was given him, this privilege was given him. You're going to see a woman as it moves on, a woman called Anna, right? Another one who just was, 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 was consistently praying, incredibly devout. And we can see that because of their devotion, that the Lord reveals himself to them and gives them a special blessing. So when we see this in the scripture, you don't just go there and read, hey, that's pretty cool. Simeon was righteous, devout, and, you know, the Holy Spirit was on him, and it was revealed to him that that he wouldn't die before he saw Jesus and then just move on. You look at it in principle and say, well, wow. You know, if Simeon had this revelation given him, this incredible revelation, it clearly had something to do with him being righteous and devout. Therefore, if you and I as Christians will determine to live a more righteous and devout life, again, this has nothing to do with our salvation, then there can be no doubt that we will receive more revelation from the Lord. So do you see how we use the scripture? Do you see how we looked into the scripture? It's not just there to tell you about Simeon, okay? You can see by principle that because Simeon is this incredible man of God who the Bible calls him righteous and devout, that there can be no doubt that these character principles are what led the Lord to reveal himself to him, right? There can be no doubt if the man was just common or indifferent or actually just 
did not live a, a, a righteous lifestyle, but, but an indifferent lifestyle or even a sinful lifestyle and really had no devotion to God, then there's no doubt this wouldn't have been done. So do you see what I'm saying? That's how we, we, we utilize the scriptures. It seems that we've gotten away from that in the body of Christ um, in really making application of the scriptures to our lives. Because that's all that really matters, right? That when we study the scriptures we, and we see the faith of those in the scriptures, if you read Hebrews 11, you'll see this incredible chapter on faith. Um, and, and all these people where we see the faith that they had and, and what the Lord did. And so we can see by principle, as we walk in greater faith, he's not going to do the identical things, but we can see that as we move in faith and greater faith and walk in obedient faith to Christ, the blessing of the Lord will be on us as it was on them. Now, again, it manifests itself in different ways. So the scripture is not here to tell us a story. It's here to teach us and instruct us, to train us in righteousness, to correct us, to rebuke us, right? All right, Luke 2, 41. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So every year they were devoted. They were told to do it in the scriptures um, and they went up. We've talked about this before that oftentimes, you know, in biblical, uh, biblical times, the entire extended family, you know, would have traveled together. So there's a very good chance that that maybe even John the Baptist is there with his parents, uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, you know, remember, uh, you know, John the Baptist is only six months older than Jesus. And, and so there have, uh, there are, what's it called, David? Corinne, what's that called? Historical fiction. And so where, where we could postulate what it would have been like for, uh, for Jesus on one of these trips. Now, certainly it doesn't say it here. Um, and again, there are principles we absolutely glean. Now, if Jesus is with the extended family, right? And let's say him and John are walking together. You remember when, uh, when Jesus comes to John, John knows him as his cousin. And John is baptizing people for repentance. You know, they're repenting over their sin. And Jesus comes to be baptized, and uh, John says, well, what are you doing here? Like, I, you know, I know you, cuz, and, uh, <laughs> you know, you need to baptize me. Uh, John the Baptist is about as, as, as godly and a holy man as there's ever been. Matter of fact, Jesus said, you know, of those born of women, there has never been a greater man than John the Baptist. Matter of fact, you got to go to heaven to find a greater man than John. But when John looks at his cousin Jesus, he doesn't know he's God yet. But yet Jesus is being baptized. John doesn't know he's the Savior yet. It makes sense. After John baptism, after John baptizes Jesus, Jesus comes out of the water. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus as a dove. John the Baptist sees all this, and now it all makes sense. A voice comes from heaven. This is my son with whom I'm well pleased. The father speaking of Jesus. But the point I'm making is that John looks at Jesus and says, well, why are you here? You know, I, I need to be baptized by you, basically saying to Jesus, you've lived a more holy life than me. Um, and so 
in different kinds of historical fiction, you know, people will postulate, what was it like? You know, imagine John and Jesus walking together. This is like, um, I think it's around 90 miles by car, 91 miles, 64 miles by plane from Nazareth to uh, Jerusalem. So they say it could be between four and seven days, depending how long. But, you know, can you imagine John the Baptist walking with Jesus? And Jesus just always wants to be a blessing to everybody. Jesus, you know, there's there's one of the carts is broken down or something. And, you know, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus says to John, hey, let's 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 go over there and help those people. Let's do this. And John's saying, man, bro, I mean, all the time, like, do we have to help every person everywhere all the time? And then Jesus quoting the Bible to him and John saying, yeah, I know what it says. Now, again, it doesn't say any of that in here, but there is some uh, some cool historical fiction out there. Because, you know, sometimes thinking about what happened inside the blanks is is interesting. I have a uh, I have a cousin in law named uh, cousin in law, right? Friend named David, you know, who's a who's a uh, a fine author in his own right. And, um, um, you know, he has an interest in uh, in this kind of historical fiction. It's pretty, pretty interesting. Right. So. So they're on this journey. It says in verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. They go every year. It's a custom. Um, and again, we know, um, again, that that they would go up in groups. It even says in verse 44, thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. So it's clear they're traveling in a, in a company of people, right? Um, he's 12 years old now. Um, this is Jesus, God, um, 43 after the feast was over while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. So at 12 years old now, Jesus clearly now is, is, uh, is coming into the understanding of who he is and what he's been called for. And again, this is, there's a lot that goes into this. At what point, you know, Jesus willingly, you know, put his deity on the shelf, so to speak, although he was always fully God and fully man. Um, but to his conscious awareness when he lived this life. Um, and again, we're certainly not told the extent of it, but presumably he would have grown up and allowed himself to grow up in a way where, you know, he was not using his deity, but, you know, it would be, so to speak, like, say at five years old, if you took like the greatest capacity in history of a five-year-old to have in everything, everything, he would have had it, Right. So he would have been advanced as a as advanced as a human five year old could be in all the history of the world at 12 years old. Again, without tapping into his deity, his godness. Right. Um, at 12 years old, Scott, he would have been. As advanced as a 12 year old could have possibly been in every manner, in every way. Right. Remember, Jesus is sinless. Jesus does not have a simple, sinful nature. He's not impeded with a sinful nature as we are in any aspect. The sinful nature that lives in us. As human beings, we have a nature of sin. 
impedes us and harms us in every way. And even after we get saved, after we get born again, right? The sinful nature, uh, the power of it has been, has been taken at the cross of Jesus Christ. But the sinful nature is not eradicated. Obviously, as Christians, we know that we can still be very selfish, very self-serving, right? We can still act in very sinful ways, and regrettably, we do. So, you know, at 12 years old, think about the most advanced 12-year-old, Stephen, that could ever be in every manner and in every way in humanity, and that would have been Jesus. Now, again, this would have been Jesus outside of his divinity. Obviously, when you bring the God into it, then you're just, you're going to see the rest of the gospel of what happened, okay? But at 12 years old, it says in verse 43, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they, they were unaware of it. So at 12 years old, for, for some reason, Jesus decides to just hang back. I'm going to stay in the, the temple and I'm going to be talking about the word of God in the temple, what he calls his father's house. But he doesn't tell anyone. And it's interesting because he's not going to uh, he's not going to apologize for this, <laughs> right? It's, uh, this is just a good picture right here. Um, you know why Jesus doesn't run to his parents and say, "Hey, you know, I need to hang back here for a while." We're not told that, but it certainly would have been nice because you want to try to put yourself in this situation because this is crazy, right? Thinking he was in their company, verse forty-four, they traveled on for a day. So again, I don't know, again, it could be a four to seven day journey. So they're, they're a day out of Jerusalem, right? That's a long time. That's a lot of walking. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. Hey, y'all seen Jesus? You seen Jesus? Hey, I'm looking. Any y'all seen Jesus? And again, who knows? There could have been a hundred people here. We don't know. You seen Jesus? No, no, man. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? You know, maybe it was common for him, like I said, to go be a blessing over here or here, here. But now they can't find him anywhere. Verse 45. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. So how long has it been now? Two days, right? Because if they travel down for a day, right, then they start looking for him and they can't find him. Then they got to go back to Jerusalem. So now they haven't seen him for two days. Their 12-year-old son, right, they've been, has been out of their company for two days. Probably a hard two days, right? Probably a nervous two days, probably a nerve-wracking two days, probably a fearful two days. And then when you look at verse uh, 46, after three days. So now, to read that, they went out for a day. Then went back to Jerusalem, and then one, two, three days later, after three days, they found him in a temple court sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. <laughs> so that could be, what, five days? Three to five days. What were those days like? Did his mother and father sleep? Don't you think it was... 
incredibly frantic and nerve-wracking. They keep looking and looking and looking and looking. Now, remember, during the Passover time, there could have been like 250,000 people there. Okay, so that's a lot of people. You know, there are different estimates on how many how many people would journey up for the Passover. But so this is just again, if we just do the math, if it's three days after they get to Jerusalem, that's five days looking for Jesus, looking for your 12 year old son. How would you feel? There's no words for how frantic we would feel. There's no words, Esther, for how just worried we would be, right? I mean, I'm just trying to you're just trying to put yourself in Mary and Joseph's situation here. This this could not have been pleasant. I mean, you're just going from everywhere to everywhere. If you see Jesus, you see my son, you see a 12 year old. Nope, nope, nope. Okay. After three days, they found him in a temple courts. So imagine the kind of incredible joy, first of all. There had to be this instinct of joy when they first saw him, right? But then that's going to fade away to him get to his mother starting to get mad, right? After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. So imagine you're a spectator here. Mary and Joseph see it. Jesus don't see them, but Mary... And Joseph come up and there's Jesus. He's just, he ain't standing. He don't even look like he's in a hurry to leave. Clearly he's not thinking that my parents are gone five days and they're going to be real worried about me. <laughs> After three days, David, Jesus is just sitting there very proper. And they just see Jesus sitting there, obviously with no urgency at all, no concern for anything at all, but just sitting to the, uh, Sitting and listening to the, to the teachers and asking them questions. Verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. During this time, there's some, there's some historical context, which again is helpful, right, Jose? It's not the only reason it's here, but the reason historical context can help us is, again, to help us to apply the word of God to our lives, right? Now, again, I don't know why Jesus acts this way, but certainly we can look at our lives and sometimes Jesus just, just sometimes in our lives, it seems like he's, he's, he stayed back, right? There are times in my life where the blessing doesn't come, the healing certain doesn't come, um, or my desires come in a way that I want them to, Right? Certainly, it would seem reasonable that Jesus would have told his parents, but, you know, he didn't. And he's not going to apologize for it. And there are times in our lives, y'all, where just Jesus seems to act this way. So you see what I'm saying, how, 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 we're, how we're looking into the scripture and we're seeing by principle, right? Certainly in principle. Now, it's, it's not going to be a 12-year-old Jesus. It's not the exact same situation. But we could certainly see as Mary and Joseph had to go through this struggle and that Jesus allowed them to go through this struggle. In the same way, often the Lord will allow us to go through a struggle while we're looking for an answer from him, while we're looking for his hand and his blessing to show up in our lives. And right. And, and just sometimes it's all counterintuitive. After three days, they found him in the temple courts sitting among the teachers, 
listening to them and asking them questions. So again, historical context tells us that that during this time, often during the Passover, the the teachers of the law um, would come out and they would teach the people and they would answer questions. Okay. And so Jesus is asking them questions. Verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding. So that means he was postulating questions that nobody else really did, right? Did that kid just ask that? Like, and all of a sudden he's asking more and more and more questions and they're like, you know, that's a good question, right? Jesus asked good questions, right? Now, again, at 12 years old, as Jesus gets older, okay, and now, again, he's always fully God and fully man from the day of his conception. But, you know, Jesus doesn't need to learn anything. His deity is at, his deity is at, you know, his disposal at any time. And we'll often see in the Gospels where he'll use his deity and his power as God, right? Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Apparently, Jesus has been studying his Bible. He's been studying the scriptures and reading the scriptures, right? It's an example to us. Even Jesus, grown up, submitted himself to the word of God. Verse 48, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. We get it, right? You'd be astonished too, right? Or, or, or Anthony, right? Buddy, imagine your 12-year-old son. They were astonished. I don't think they were astonished because of the incredible questions he was asking. That's not why they're astonished. They're astonished because they've been looking for him for five days, frantically, anxiously, and here he is just chilling talking. What did Jesus do for them five days? Did he just sleep somewhere? Did he find a cot? Where you been sleeping? What you been doing? We know why they're astonished, right, May? His mother said to him, it's interesting, it says his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. <laughs> Look at this. It's a, it's a pretty good biblical account here, right? I mean, sometimes have you never just wondered why God has just allowed you to go through a certain situation or allowed circumstances to happen the way they did with, with anything, your, your, your family, your children, your parents, your health, your job, your money, whatever it is. Why? Why would you do this, Lord Jesus? I know I have. And, if, and the funny thing is, the kind of answer Jesus is going to give her, he's 12 years old, right? Can you picture Mary here? Mary's a serious woman, right? Son, notice son is capitalized. Why have you treated us like this? Mary believes she'd been mistreated. We can all kind of, we want to say, you know, Jesus, it does kind of seem that you know what I mean? I know you're God and all and you're Jesus, but it does kind of seem that was a little discourteous. Like, you know, five days, not five hours, five days. Where was he? What's he doing? What's going on? Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Now you would have thought Jesus would have said, oh, I'm sorry, mom. 
Dad, Joe, I'm sorry. Um, forgive me. Nope. I mean, I can't even imagine this answer, right? They see him. They go up to him. Her, his mother's near out of her mind. She's so frustrated, right? Clearly, Mary believes Jesus has wronged her. Has he? Has he, Ellen? No, he hasn't. Jesus has not wronged her. Sometimes it feels like the Lord hasn't done right by us, doesn't it? It's never the case, ever. We can understand why Mary feels wrong, wouldn't we all, right? Look at his, look at his answer again. No, I'm sorry. He doesn't say, yeah, no, sorry about that. He doesn't say, ah, yeah, you know, I could have done better. Nope, none of that. Verse 49, why were you searching for me? That's the first sentence. By the way, the first recorded words of Jesus, why were you searching for me? What would you, I'd have been like, did he just ask why? I don't know, because you're our son. You're 12 years old. We haven't seen you for five days. We love you. You think you could have told it? You know what I mean? You kind of like, you know how your dog, when you talk to your dog, it'll go. Why were you searching for me? That's his first sentence. Then he says, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? It's an interesting line because he just, she had just said, son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Obviously, it's she and Joseph, right? When she says, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you, she's speaking about her and her husband, Joseph. Joseph is obviously his stepfather. Remember, because God, the Holy Spirit made Mary pregnant. So God, the father is her, is his earthly father and his heavenly father. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Again, incredible question, right? It almost seems a little bit aloof, right? But it's not. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Uh, and in the Old Testament, right? They, he's speaking of the temple area, right? Um, you know, where, where they would go and, and worship, right? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And now, obviously, he's talking about his heavenly father. Again, in contrast to what she had said, your father and I. It's, it's an incredible answer. There's no apology. There's no please forgive me. And again, it, it does oftentimes seem in our lives, even more often than not, that, that we're not on the same page as Jesus. Right? His mom and dad are not on the same page, Matthew, are they? Oftentimes, me and the Lord aren't on the same page. But you notice he's not apologizing because he's not wrong. Believe it or not, they are. And it's hard for us to even understand that because it does seem like he's been unreasonable, but he hasn't. Verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Okay, already at 12 years old, they can't even, they don't understand. Like, I just told you we've been anxiously searching for you for five days going out of our mind, 
and I don't, you just said some stuff, verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Sometimes we just, sometimes we just don't understand what Jesus is saying or doing in our lives. And we're just going to have to go with that. Right. Verse 51. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Then he went down to Nazareth. So the three of them just went down to Nazareth. Four to seven days. He goes with them and he's obedient to them. It's just, then he went down to Nazareth, verse 51, with them and was obedient to them. Right? Okay. I mean, they, seemingly they said something like, okay, can, can, can we go now? Would that be okay with you? Okay. Yes, mother. But you notice he doesn't apologize because that would have that would have implied he did something wrong, which would have mean when he sinned, he never sinned. He was following his heavenly father's direction in being where he was. Um, yeah, and 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 oftentimes again how the Lord works in our lives is counterintuitive to what we would find reasonable. And we certainly see that here. But then he says, like I said, he seemingly, he certainly agrees to go with them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. We just saw this with the shepherds. Um, and again, these, the same chapter, we see that, that Mary is, is treasuring in verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart and pondered them. And it says it again here. So Luke amazingly mentions this twice in two different circumstances. Mary at the birth of Jesus is treasuring up what the Lord is doing and pondering it. And we see the same thing here. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. So Mary went out of her way to remember these things, to think about these things. And we've often said that Mary is an incredible example to us as men and women of what a, of how a, a godly person should live their lives. Do you treasure up the work of God in your life? Do you ponder the word of God? Do you treasure up what Jesus has done in your life like Mary? In verse 52, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. So you see that he was allowed to grow in wisdom. Obviously, if he had just tapped into his divinity, there is no growth. God cannot learn anything because he already knows everything, right? He's omniscient. He knows everything. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. That means he can do anything, right? Omniscient, you know everything. That means you can't learn anything because you already know it all. It's kind of an incredible word, right? Omnipotent, all-powerful. That means you can do anything. And then omnipresent, you're everywhere at all times. But we see that Jesus grew in wisdom. So he continues to, he's allowed to grow up as a human man, right? Um, as any of the rest of us would. But again, he would have always been the pinnacle of what that, that human being would have been because he had no sinful nature. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your mercy and favor and goodness on our lives. We just thank you for your love, Lord. We just thank you again just for, for this incredible insight into the life of Jesus. 
And Father, I ask you to forgive us again when we are so frustrated and anxious. And Lord, I just ask you to, I don't know, Lord, I just ask you to give us eyes that see because we can relate. We can seemingly relate here, I confess, more to Mary and her frustration than to you and your answers, Lord. But Lord, we know that, Lord, that whatever you're doing is good for us or how you allow circumstances often to play out in our lives is for our good. We know you've promised in Romans 8, 28, that you work all things for the good of those who love you, Lord. So I ask you to help us to, to love you more, Lord Jesus, that we might experience your goodness more and more in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to seal the message to our hearts. Lead us and guide us now as we go forward. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.